Lord, we come before you now and we thank you for those words that we've just read from your inspired word. We ask now on this New Year's Day that you would give us attentive minds, clear minds, hearts to understand, and a reactivated will to put these things into action. Oh Lord, please teach us. Please teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. What did you do last night? That's a rhetorical question. You don't have to jump up and answer. Did you get jolly? Did you have some laughs? Maybe it was a sad day. You know, for some people, the holidays are not fun and jolly times. They're not. They think of loved ones that are gone. They might have lost loved ones on those particular days. We never know the events that might occur in our life at any time. We just never know. It could be joyful events, terrifying events, amusing events, confusing events. You never know what's going to happen the next moment. You could be sitting at home, relaxing, what we call relaxing, watching television, and the phone rings and it's a tragic phone call. A friend or a relation has passed from this life to the next. You could be sitting in your office, if you live on the West Coast or on a fault line, calmly reading some reports, maybe looking at the clock, hoping to go home, when an earthquake suddenly starts to shake and shimmy the building. One never knows. You could be sad. You could be saddened. Because a close friend or dearly beloved relative had told you that they were unable to attend a Christmas or New Year's party that you were throwing for your friends and relations. And you were sad about that, no matter who was around you. Then the doorbell rings and you go to answer the door. You open it and surprise, their plans have changed and there they are. And your entire mood is lifted. We never know what is going to occur in our lives. Never. Many, many of us are worried today. We're concerned about identity theft. Are you worried that someone's going to sneak into your computer and steal your identity? Find your bank numbers, your credit card numbers, your credit card history, your middle last name. Maybe you have two middle names. I don't know. And steal your identity. And take your money. Complicate your life. And make you feel even more vulnerable than you already do. Some ingenious, devious, computer savvy criminal. Lurking in the basement of his mother or father's home. And steals everything from you. Well, it does happen. And we're smart if we protect our passwords and our information. That's just common sense. Shred the documents very well before you throw them in the trash, they say. Burn them is even better. Because I'm sure you've seen spy shows where they, they litter the floor with what looks like pounds of paper that have been run through a shredder and someone has the insane talent to be able to put those strips together. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. 
But if it's burned to ash, I'm fairly certain they can't reconstruct those ashes. That would almost be a resurrection, and only God can do that. But I think something is more terrifying than having someone steal your identity. What if you were the victim of mistaken identity? What if they thought you were someone that you were not? Be really scary, especially if you were a lookalike for someone who is a suspected criminal or a terrorist. That could happen. That has happened. That might have happened last night. One never knows. Let me read for you one such incident. In early 1979, five businesses in Wilmington, Delaware, were robbed by the same armed assailant. Now, he was nicknamed the Gentleman Bandit. The Gentleman Bandit because he was kind and apologetic to his victims. A nice guy, this one. The Gentleman Bandit. When a composite sketch of this chap was released, a series of anonymous tips led police to a very unlikely suspect. Father Bernard Pagano, a 53-year-old assistant pastor at a local Catholic church in Cambridge, Maryland. On February 27th of that year, Father Pagano was charged with five counts of armed robbery. Now, in case you don't know it, five counts of armed robbery is a fairly serious charge. Armed robbery is not a wise crime. You don't get much money and you go away for a long, long time. Now, since Father Pagano was a very distinguished and well-liked member of the community, you can imagine uh, many people refused to believe he was guilty, but seven eyewitnesses positively identified him as the perpetrator. Now, the story doesn't tell me why Father Pagano wasn't able to say, well, this robbery happened at five and I was hearing confession or I was saying mass or something. I don't know. But his defense team launched an investigation And that led them to a more likely culprit, a former Pennsylvania postal worker named Roland Clouser. Now, Father Pagano and Clouser looked very much alike, and this guy, the gentleman bandit, felt so guilty over the idea of a priest taking the fall for him that he began to commit more robberies, hoping that the police would realize they've got the wrong guy. Well... This is probably not the type of guy that's going to be able to sneak into your computer and steal your identity. He doesn't seem like the brightest bulb on top of the Christmas tree, to put it bluntly. In the end, his guilty conscience got to him. He came forward, confessed that he was the gentleman bandit and not Father Pagano. And all charges against Father Pagano were dismissed. And he received a formal apology for his ordeal. That was nice of the state, wasn't it, to give him a formal apology? That was nice. What if that happened to you? What if someone thought that you were someone who you were not? What if you were arrested, charged, found guilty, sentenced, and even done time for a crime that you didn't commit? Forget about identity theft. You can take all the passwords you want from me. Please don't mistake me for a terrorist or a criminal. That would be terrifying. But I think that's happened to many of you. Many Christians have made themselves the helpless and hopeless victims of mistaken identity. I think many Christians have enveloped themselves in this 
picture of themselves that is not true according to the Bible. You see yourselves as A, B, and C when God really sees you as X, Y, and Z. So what I want to do today, what I hope to do today, is to give you a fighting chance for this new year. A fighting chance to live a holy life. A fighting chance to see yourself the way God sees you. Can you think of anything? The only thing more important than knowing that is knowing that you're a sinner and that Christ is your only hope for salvation. The next thing on the agenda is to start thinking God's thoughts after him. Start thinking about yourself and to think about life the way God thinks about life, the way God thinks about you. So I ask you today, brother and sister, have you, are you the victim of a mistaken identity? Have you created this image of yourself that is patently untrue according to the word of God? We'll see. What I want us to learn today is that we must learn to see ourselves as God sees us. We must learn to see ourselves as God sees us. We'll start in Genesis. It's a new year. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Do you understand that? I've told you this many times. But reminders are important. You bear the image of God. Whatever you did last night, you were bearing the image of God. Whatever you did in your past, if any of you have ever stolen anything, at that moment of that theft, you were bearing the image of God. This Roland Clauser fellow, when he was committing those robberies, believe it or not, was bearing the image of God. The most heinous criminal in history. The most awful human being in history. Take your pick from the 20th century. They bore the image of God. You cannot erase the image of God from anybody. You can deface it. You can debase it. You can smash it. But you cannot erase it. I did not mean to have all those things rhyme. I really didn't. You can't. You bear the image of God. This is very important for us. And it's very important for us to teach our children and our grandchildren this. That where they go, the image of God is stamped in their very being. Not in our physical features, but in our spiritual personhood. That's why there's no excuse for anybody to sin. Because part of the image of God is the natural knowledge that there is a God. And then when people look out at the Rocky Mountains or the hills of Pennsylvania or the snow-covered plains of South Dakota, or I don't care where they go. Romans 1 tells us that nature tells us that there is a God and that He is powerful. We're all without excuse. Do you believe that you're created in the image of God? Or, as I said last week, are you seeing yourself through someone else's discolored spectacles? And those spectacles might be the ones that you yourself have created and put on. You've all been told lies. I've been told lies. Some of the lies were told to us unintentionally. Our parents and grandparents, uncles, teachers, coaches have said this and that about us. And we, we've taken them to heart. 
We have to erase those and begin to hear God's promises for us. So let's move on to the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 23. This is very important. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, most of us know that one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is really very important. This is the heart of the gospel. If you don't understand that verse, I'm going to say it again. For all, that includes you and you and me. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you don't understand this one, if you don't acknowledge the truth of this one, then it's impossible for you to be saved. Because if you don't believe you sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then you don't think you're a sinner. If you don't think you're a sinner, then you don't need a Savior. And if you don't need a Savior, then you don't need to believe in Jesus Christ as your only hope in this life or the next. But this isn't really a problem for many of us. I know you're tired, but I want to twist it around just a little bit. Some of us get this too well. Now you're really surprised, right? The pastor's going to go soft on sin on New Year's Day. I really should have brought friends today. No. What I mean by this is this. This is stating a fact. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But as we'll see very soon, you're free from sin if you're a Christian. You're dead to sin if you're a Christian. It has no claims on you if you're a Christian. Some of us have made this verse, even though it is very, very true, into a type of prison. Well, I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of the glory of God. That's all I ever will be. So we begin to say, God sees me as a sinner. God sees me as a sinner. Now, that is true. Does anybody want to dispute that? You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I pray to God no one ever has used our confession of sin just as words. Nothing more terrifying for a pastor than to realize someone might just be reading these words and not meaning them. I implore you to think on this first day of the year, do you acknowledge that you're a sinner and have you fallen short of the glory of God? The word to fall short means to miss the mark. Many of you are bow hunters or archmen, arch girls, archery persons. You miss. That's what it means. It means to miss the bullseye. Some of us miss it way, way off. We don't even hit the target at all. Some come close, but it doesn't matter if you're close. The only person who hit the bullseye is Jesus Christ. And you know what? You have to hit the bullseye every single time you pull back the bow. Because if you miss it once, you're disqualified from heaven. That's why we need Christ. But if you only see yourself as a sinner, then you won't realize that Christ saved you and you'll never move on and you'll have this mistaken identity some of us think of ourselves just as dead dogs mired in sin and we can never get past it we're dirty we're defiled we're disgusting in God's sight well guess what if you're a Christian that's not true and I'm going to prove it from the Bible Romans 5 8 we'll just keep progressing Yes, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But 
Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me read that again. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, when you were still a sinner. And you know what? You weren't even born when Christ was di- died. When you were still a sinner, God demonstrates. He showed his power. You go to a convention and you see a demonstration of a new tool or a new movie projector or, or some new gizmo that's going to make whatever you do for a living just magical and easy. Maybe if you're up late at night and you're really bored and you watch those infomercials, there's all kinds of demonstrations on all kinds of crazy things. Maybe some of you, I myself have, I have to admit on occasion when I was younger, I've, I've purchased some stupid thing at three in the morning. I thought that thing looks like a really good contraption. That'll make my life easier. Well, it did once or twice until it blew up. It was made like junk. But God doesn't make junk, my friends. And he demonstrated his love toward you while you were still a sinner. And the proof of that is that Christ died for you. Do you believe that Christ died for you? Then that means God has demonstrated his love toward you, which means God loves you. Now that might seem like something very, very basic. But is that how you view yourself as someone that God loves? Is that the way you see your wife as someone that God loves? Your husband. I'm going to get everybody here. Your parents. Do you see your parents as a man or a woman that God loves? Do you see your children as boys or girls, young men and young women, as someone that God loves? Or do you see yourself and everybody around you as just this defiled, dead dog sinner? That's mistaken identity, and it gets even better in Romans 6. The first 14 verses of Romans 6 are astonishing in their power. Paul asks this rhetorical question. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Little Greek would be, may it never be. In the vernacular, we'd say, no way. Because you see, there are some who say, well, if I'm saved by grace, and I can't, I'm saved by grace, which means I can't be saved by works. Which means, if I'm saved by grace, then my works kind of don't matter. This is twisted logic. So if I'm saved by grace, I can do anything I want. I have my fire insurance. You know what that's like? That's like having your fire insurance and running into a burning building with just regular clothes on. It's the height of insanity. And it's the height of ingratitude to think that just because we're saved by grace, we can do anything we want. And Paul is asking this crazy question. And he says, how shall we, listen carefully, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? See, I'm trying to show you a progression. Everyone's created in the image of God. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And now, apparently, according to Paul, we've died to sin. 
Now, if you've died to sin, then the logical conclusion is, how shall, you, how shall you any longer live in it? And then it gets real crazy. Verses 3 and 4. Or do you not know? It's almost like a mocking tone. Not quite, but close. Don't you know? That as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Yes, this is talking about water baptism. Pure and simple. Water baptism. This doesn't mean that everybody who has received water baptism is saved. That would be salvation through water. That would be salvation through magic. You say a few words over the water and it becomes magic water. No. What this is saying is that when someone is baptized by a lawfully ordained minister with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they are then brought into the church, they are placed under covenantal obligations, and they are protected. You see, if baptism is necessary and sufficient for your salvation then we have this problem, as I've taught many of you, with that thief on the cross. Because that thief on the cross next to Jesus, he didn't have time to come before the session, be examined, come before the, come before the church, take his membership vows, and then be baptized. He, he, in case you didn't read the Gospels, he didn't have a chance to do that. But what did Jesus say? Today you shall be with me in paradise. So there goes the idea that water is going to save you. But we need to carefully think about our baptisms and our children's baptisms. Do you know why we don't? It's really, really simple. We don't want to think that we're Roman Catholics or Greek Orthodox. It's just that simple. You're afraid. Well, if I talk too much about my water baptism... You know, people are going to start thinking I'm a Catholic. Well, you do believe in the Holy Catholic Church, right? You just professed it. That's not the Roman Catholic Church. That's a church, but they've added a bunch of stuff. But this predates the Roman Catholic Church. This is the Apostle Paul writing this. Baptism replaces circumcision. Not everybody that was circumcised in the Old Covenant was saved. All you have to do is read about some of the kings of Israel and realize, oh, these guys were circumcised, but boy, were they clueless. But our baptism is important for us to remember. It's God has put his seal upon us, his stamp of approval. And it's up to us to improve our baptism, to think about it. And to teach our children, hey, you've been baptized. You, you're, you're freed from doing all of these things. When you're baptized and you sin, it's a disgrace to the stamp of Christ. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Why? That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Are you walking in newness of life? Or has your identity been mistaken for a dead dog sinner who can't stop sinning? You see, that's the whole point. Don't ever say that you're fallen. You can say that you fall short of the glory of God. Don't ever say you're fallen if you're a Christian because you're not. How can one possibly be raised with Christ 
and fallen at the same time. Try it sometime. It's an, it would be an interesting physics experience. Lying down, standing up, and jumping at the same time. That would be an interesting demonstration of the laws of physics. You can either lie down or stand up. It's impossible to do both at the same time. Well, here we are. We've been raised from the dead. Why? Because in verse 5, we've been united together in the likeness of his death. You've been united with Christ in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Do you ever think about Christ's resurrection? And the power that it brings to you. What it means to you. Knowing this, that our old man, the proper translation should be old person. Okay, So this, this counts for you ladies as well was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should what? No longer be slaves of sin. For he was died, has been freed from sin. Now he continues, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dieth no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. The life that he lives, he lives to God. You see, everything that is Christ's is ours by way of imputation. His death becomes our death. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. Now, we believe that we will be raised on the last day, but Paul is talking to living people, so here is what he wants us to do. In verse 11, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be Dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word reckon means to consider, to think upon, to meditate upon. You need to do this. Romans 6.11 is very important. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, if you have this mistaken identity, if you still think you're dead in sin, then guess what? You're not believing this verse. You have to believe that you're dead to sin. You have to believe that you're alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that, that is where the battle truly is. In your mind. How you think about yourself. This isn't pop psychology. I'm just quoting the word of God. I didn't make this up. It's much easier for me to just think of myself as a piece of dirt. That's easy to do. But to consider myself to be dead to sin, well, that means I can't sin anymore. If I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord, that means people better see some life in me. That's a little harder. It's a lot easier to just say, I'm a dead dog sinner, I'm a dead dog sinner, I'm a dead dog sinner, please have mercy on me. It means you never have to change, never have to repent. Always make excuses for the same things over and over and over again. Well, not according to this. Verse 14. I'll skip verses 12 and 13 due to time. Sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Sin doesn't have dominion over you, my friends, because Christ is your king. And Christ killed sin on that cross. 
See, this is what we need to start doing in 2017. We need to start, we all need to start improving our Christian walk in 2017. We can only truly begin this journey by understanding our identity in Christ. And the fact is, is that, listen, you're moving every moment of your life. You're in perpetual motion. You're either moving toward God or moving away from God. Maybe you're sidestepping God, but a sidestep is a move backwards. But you're always moving every moment of your waking lives. So, when you think about 2016, I'm sure you noticed that when the clock struck midnight, the calendar changed, right? Fireworks, everybody's jumping around. Ah, I don't even know if the ball drops in New York City anymore. I don't know. Who cares? Massive waste of money. The clock changed. 2016's gone. You ever heard a... Yesterday as I was thinking about the year passing, I, I could almost hear um, a, a certain baseball announcer that I, I grew up listening to. You know, and a lot of them say this. You know, Old-time old guys did. You know, boy, he got a hold of that one. That ball is going, going, gone, goodbye. I used to love hearing that, especially when it was the Yankees. It's gone, goodbye. 2016's gone. You don't have a reset button. What are you going to do with 2017? You can either be the victim of a mistaken identity, or you can start to believe what God has shown us in these passages. Don't become the victim of a mistaken identity. Do not see yourself the way the devil or the world or even yourself wants to see you. Take these verses to heart. And when you do that, you will begin to walk in the right direction. Straight toward God Almighty, the founder, creator, and sustainer of the entire universe. Let us pray. Lord, I beg of you that this year we would take these Verses to heart that your spirit would burn them into our very being. And we would live as those who have been raised to life with Christ. For our citizenship is in heaven. And we wait for our Savior and we ask that he returns even this day. Amen.